So I want to begin this morning with a, a little video clip of a couple of cute monkeys. Does everyone sound like that's a good way to start? Now these monkeys are not just ordinary, well they are ordinary monkeys, but they're in an experiment. Who wants to see a, a, a video of monkeys being experimented on? Eh, not so sure now. I trust you, trust me, it's great. All these monkeys have to do, they're side by side in a couple cages, and all they have to do is pass the experimenter a rock, and in payment for doing this tiny small task, they get given a piece of cucumber, which is lovely, nice food, right? They like it. Now, if you have two monkeys side by side in a cage, and you ask them to pass you a rock, they pass you a rock, you give them cucumber, they will gladly pass you rocks all day, just so long as you keep paying them in cucumber. Now, in the video that we're going to see, the monkey on the left, he's, be, he's got to pass the rock and he still gets paid in cucumber. But the difference is this time, the monkey on the right gets paid with a grape, a sweet, juicy grape. Now, I don't know about you, but I would far prefer a grape over a cucumber piece, right? Anyone else with me? Yeah. All right. Well, let's see how it turns out. Is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece he eats. Uh, then she sees the other one getting no, grapes. Stop. And you will it's see. not playing. The video is not playing right. Oh, there we go. That's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now. Gets again cucumber. She tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <laughs> See, they'll do it all day long, so long as they're both getting the same. But if one starts getting a grape, the whole thing changes, doesn't it? Now, if you doubt this experiment, uh, it's done plenty of times, but um, I'm sure as parents, you've done this experiment with your children. <laughs> I have twins. I've got a built-in control group right there. Parents understand that fairness is so important to children, and, and you just see what happens if one perceives that they are being treated differently to the other and being treated unfairly. You get all sorts of things thrown at you. Now... This, this idea of comparing what we get to others is not unusual, even in adults. Um, I read a study, well, I read of a study uh, done by some Harvard researchers in which they asked a whole bunch of people this question, would you rather? Can we put up the would you rather? Okay. Now, considering the cost of living in this society that we're talking about here is exactly the same regardless, would you rather earn $50,000 when the average income of your neighbours is $25,000? Or would you rather earn $100,000 when the average income of your neighbours and workmates is $200,000?
Now, I don't know, how do you, how do you answer that? Would anybody answer one? They would prefer to have 50, only $50,000 when all their neighbours only had twenty-five, Or would you prefer to have $100,000 when all your neighbours have $200,000? What would you prefer? Anyone? Want to put your hand up and say, all right, let's try this. Anyone for number one? There's about four of you. Well, you're all not normal, right? Because as a group, you're not very normal. Because the research found that over 50%, just over 50%, 52% of people would prefer to have $50,000 rather than $100,000. They would prefer to have $50,000 just so long as they could have twice as much as their neighbours. Isn't that interesting? I thought that is interesting. Now, the way we compare with each other is the way we understand ourselves and our place in the world. Okay, so today we are continuing our study of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 today. Um, the first week we looked at Ecclesiastes 1 and 2. The second week we looked at Ecclesiastes 3. This week we're going to look at just two verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, which, which tackle this thing, this, this idea of comparativeness, the better word for that, head on, right? So we're going to look at these two verses. But I want to encourage you, if you're playing along at home, to read chapters 4, 5, and 6 this week, if you can, because next week we're going to land in chapter 7. So if you're going to read along with us all uh, together, then uh, there, that's what we do. All right, so let's read chapters 4, verses 4 to 6. And I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So here's how I picture this. Solomon walks out on a balcony and he sees over Jerusalem a whole bunch of people getting up early, getting their carts ready, getting their stores open. He sees all this business activity in the marketplace. And he begins to ask the question, what is it that drives people? What is the key motivator for them to succeed and achieve and strive for wealth or greatness or, or whatever? What is that key motivator? Now, at the same time, Solomon has a wealth of experience to draw on. He's a world-renowned adjudicator, mediator, and judge. Day after day, he spends hours listening to people, listening to people's complaints, their problems, their conflicts, their desires, their pains. He is a judge and a king. He hears about frustrations and anger. He hears why one motivation to hurt another person. He hears behind all of it. And after years and years of doing this, he comes to this conclusion that we have. He says, you know why? You know why the reason why people strive, why people toil, why they work? It's envy. It's envy. Now, I think it's, it's necessary in our day and age to clarify what exactly he means by envy. Because in our society, we have a number of words that we use that kind of mean the same thing, or at least we've interchanged them. And we use a number of different words. So we use words jealousy, we use coveting. Well, I don't know if you have a particular Old Testament bent, you might use the word coveting. And we use the word envy. And sometimes they get interchanged, but they're not the same. And I think it's important for us to understand what exactly envy is, because that's exactly what Solomon is talking about. Does that sound okay? So we get a little bit of a word study. 
Now, jealousy. Let's talk about jealousy first. Jealousy is wanting to hold on to what you have. So you cannot be envious of something you have, right? Does that make sense? And in fact, jealousy in itself is not a sin, as so often talked about. Jealousy is a sin. Have you heard that phrase? The problem with that is, if we have a look at Exodus 34, 14, do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Okay, so jealousy is not the same as envy. Jealousy is about protecting fiercely what you have. And in this context, it says God protects fiercely his relationship with his people. And my encouragement to you this morning, first point, is to be jealous of your relationship with God. Fiercely protect it. Work hard at it and hold on to your relationship with God. And in the same vein, it's, it's perfectly normal to be jealous of all your relationships, to protect your relationships with your spouses and your kids and your parents and boyfriends and girlfriends and whatever else, to protect those important relationships. Does that sound okay? So that is jealousy and that is, well, let me just give a riser, jealousy can become a problem when it's driven by fear. Yeah, it can. You know, I've seen it time and time again where people are jealous of, of a relationship they have that they squeeze and they hold on so tightly to that person that they almost suffocate them. Yeah, have you seen that happen? Yeah, so jealousy can become a problem, but that's a message for another time. Today, we are talking about envy, not jealousy. So let's move on to coveting. Coveting is pure and simple, wanting in a, in a bad way, wanting what your neighbor has, a fierce desire to have what your neighbor has. So when you drool over your neighbor's new Ferrari or Lamborghini, Anyone got a neighbor with a Lamborghini? I have a neighbor with a Porsche 911 GTS, which I think is pretty awesome. It's one of my favorite cars ever. And uh, he just lives right next to us. Um, but I don't know him well enough. I, I plan to get to know him because I'd like to drive in his car. But let's see if that happens. But if you, if, if you become obsessed with a neighbor's possessions, that's called coveting. And that is clear from Scripture. Uh, we have the Exodus 20. We have the, um, one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's spouse, or his female servants, male servants, donkeys, anything he's got, anything that belongs to him. Don't develop a desire or, or an obsessive desire for it. Now, let me just say that coveting goes beyond possessions. It's not just about possessions. In our day and age, a lot of people spend time staring at, at Instagram and Facebook and, and Pinterest particularly. Wanting to have the looks and the talents and the fitness that these people have. Wanting their intelligence or their lifestyles or, or wanting their youthfulness. And becoming obsessed with, those, with that desire. Now that is coveting. So what is envy? What is envy? Coveting leads to envy. Envy is a resentment that grows when you covet what someone else has. Okay, it's not just the obsessive desire, or that's part of it. But there becomes this deep resentment that grows out of our desire to have what someone else has, or the fact that we don't have what they have. 
Do you, do you see what we're saying here? It's a, it's a bit of a resentment. In fact, it has the same Latin kind of root word as malice and spite. You know when people start to spite other people because, they're, because they do well at stuff? We have good examples of envy in Australia, don't we? We've all, we've all heard it talked about. You've probably heard sermons about the tall poppy syndrome. Yeah? Here's the definition of the tall poppy syndrome. A term primarily used to describe a social phenomenon in which people of genuine merit are resented, attacked, cut down, criticised because of their talents or achievements that elevate them above or distinguish them from their peers. If anyone genuinely does well, genuinely experiences some sort of good fortune, and they, they tend to rise above their peers, they're quickly, in Australia, criticised and cut down. I read uh, a few articles on this, and um, I, meant, I thought about grabbing a quote from Ian Thorpe, Australia's greatest swimmer. The amount of criticism that he faced over things that were completely unrelated to his swimming. And it's not like these people were going to be competing with him in the pool. There's another one from the band In Excess. Does anyone love In Excess? Yeah. Everyone's blank. Good Christian people don't listen to that kind of music. Is that right? From the 80s and the 90s. Super famous band overseas. But in Australia cut down, criticised and contributed to, this, to the suicide of its front man. So that's, that's true on a, on a societal level. But what about, I've seen, I've seen this sort of thing play out in smaller relationship groups between two people. I've been a, a core officer for 15 years and uh, one month and I've seen this sort of thing happen. Let me give you a few scenarios. Two good friends. Two good friends who work together. Work together for years. One gets a promotion. The other doesn't. The relationship becomes strained. Two good friends looking to settle down in life. One finds a partner and gets married. The other doesn't. Can add strain to a relationship. Two good friends get married around the same time. They both decided they want to have children around the same time. They both tried to have children. One got pregnant, the other didn't and hasn't. It adds a strain to a relationship. Two good friends in business, different businesses, running their own small businesses. One small business gets a lucky contract, or, or I can't remember exactly, but it just took off. And the other one is there struggling to make ends meet. Suddenly they met every week for coffee, but that just ended. It puts strain on relationships when things happen to one person and not another. Have you seen that thing? Have you seen it? Anybody nodding at me? Yeah. That is envy at its most simple and subtle form. If you've ever, ever been envious of someone, you've, you've looked at someone who's been blessed and you've struggled to celebrate it. And instead you, you, you kind of develop this little bit of resentment towards them. Why did, why did God bless them? 
and not me? Why did God bless them and not me? See, that's the question that is actually at the heart of what this is all about, isn't it? Why them and not me? There is a search for meaning in here. Why do they get such luck, such fortune, such blessings? Why not me? Why do they get such a nice house? Why not me? Why don't I deserve the good? Why don't I deserve the promotion? Why don't I deserve the happy, happy family? Why don't I deserve the pay rise? Why don't I deserve health and well-being? Why is my health failing and theirs not? Why? We, we, we want to understand God's reasoning. Why has God decided to bless one person and not another? What is the reason for it? How can I explain it to myself? Doesn't make sense. Well, I've got the answer for you. It's kind of a good news, bad news situation. Are you ready? Here's the truth. The question, why me, is actually meaningless. It's a pointless question, says Solomon. It is pointless, empty, meaningless. It is chasing after wind because there is no answer. There is no discernible reason why blessings happen to one person and not another. One of Solomon's foundational beliefs through this whole book, and as you read along with us at home, is this. There is a randomness built into the world. The way God created the universe includes a level of randomness. And we will not understand it. So why them? Why not me? Meaningless. A chasing after the wind, he says. See what I say? It's good news and bad news. You want a reason, but there isn't one. So the standard response to this kind of thinking is that, well, if there's no reason, if everything is just random, why do anything at all? Why not just stay home and rely on welfare? I've seen a lot of families do that for generations. Why, not, why bother? Why try? Well, Solomon knows way back then, 3,000 years ago, that's the standard response people have. And he says in verse 5, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. you still got to work. You've still got to provide for yourself and your family. You've still got to do these things. But he says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What he says is the better way to live is with tranquility in one hand and the striving in the other. It's a bit of a balance, you see. Better to let go of some of the striving to let go of some of the competition, the corporate ladder climbing, letting go of some of the feelings of injustice that drives anxiety and resentment and stress and find the tranquility with that part of your life instead. 
Look what he says in Proverbs 14.30. Proverbs 14.30 says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy means that we're going to be working with two hands. No tranquility, no peace, no life. Solomon says, let go of some of that. Focus on your relationship with God. Finding that peace that gives life to the body and energizes the other half that then has to go to work to make ends meet. Isn't that interesting? Is that a point of view that's powerful, right? Don't grab on with two hands. Find peace with God first and allow that to drive everything else. Are you, this morning the question is this, is there some small part of your skeleton that is rotting? Is there some small part of your bones that begin to feel the injustice? Begin to ask the question, why me? Why not? Why don't I have that? This morning, I want to take a moment. We're going to pray together. But I want you to ask yourself genuinely, how do you feel about life and the people around you? How do you feel about blessings that they have? Blessings that they don't have and blessings that you have, blessings that you don't have. How do you feel about the randomness that seems to be the case? Are you at peace with it? Do you struggle to celebrate them? Jesus, thou art everything to me. I'm just going to get Anne to play that. It's just the music. We're not going to sing it. But I just want to... Just play the, the one verse and the one chorus. And I, I want to ask you all to bow your heads and to think for a moment. To bow your heads and to think for a moment. What is my, what is my posture before God in this? Am I still struggling? Am I still striving? Or am I able to release that and say, God, whatever you have for me, I accept. Let's bow our heads and reflect.